Chapter Thirty Nine of Marion, the Story of an Artist's Model, by Winifred Eaton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Chapter Thirty Nine. It is inconceivably hard for a girl without a definite trade or profession, and possessed of no particular talent, to earn her own living. With Tim O'Leary's help. I had made a little money that tided me over for a time, but I realized that it was merely a temporary relief. The artists would not be returning for a couple of months, and I was in a quandary what I should do. A letter from Lil Markey, the girl who had posed for Count von Hatzfeld in Montreal, made me consider the advisability of joining her in New York. This is Lil's letter. Dear Marion, here i am in little old new york been here two months now i'm trying to get a job on the stage and i've almost landed one you ought to come on here there's lots better opportunities especially for a model i have all the work i can do just now posing for the standard a theatrical paper now there's a fellow here who is going to get a bunch of girls and put us in living pictures all one needs is the looks say why don't you come on and join me here i've a little flat with a couple of other girls and we need another to squeeze in and help pay the expenses i'd prefer you to anyone i've seen here say some of them are tough though i was awfully sorry to hear about the old count dying ada told me how cut up you were about it too i've a date now my meal ticket with love lil lil's letter had started my thoughts on an old trail the desire to act came creeping back on me it was like an old thirst that suddenly awoke and tugged at one's consciousness to be satisfied in boston i had not thought to see theatrical managers reggie had long ago successfully squelched my ambitions in that line now lil's letter and her reference to mr davis quickened a new hope within me perhaps as lil wrote conditions were better in new york certainly there should be more work for a model and perhaps i might in time really get on the stage i had enough money for my fare and a little over and new york appealed to me still i had not definitely decided to go until after i had read the letter that came from reggie dearest old girl he wrote I'm so glad you are keeping well and have quite recovered from your recent indisposition. I have been up to my eyes and ears in important work. I'm going to run for the next elections for the Ninth Ward. What do you think of that for a young and rising barrister? I'll bet you are proud of your Reggie now, aren't you, darling? As for me, now that the rush has let up a bit, I am simply famishing for the sight of my little Marion and now for the best news of all i'm leaving for boston tomorrow evening and i'll be with you within a day there won't be any more cross stiff little letters coming to me from boston from a strange marion that's not a bit like the loving little girl i know the states is no place for a girl like you darling and i'm going there to fetch you home be at north station at eight fifteen your reggie 
as i read reggie's letter strange thoughts swept turbulently over me what was he coming for why should he take me back had the time come at last when he felt able to marry me he had put off our marriage so long upon one excuse or another that i could not help feeling skeptical over the possibility that now the time had actually come for his mentioning of his coming political fight made me wonder whether he would not be the first to think that this was a bad time for him to marry he would need the support of the marbridge family more than ever and i knew that much of that support had come because of miss marbridge's personal interest in reggie ada had written me that it was generally rumored in montreal that they were engaged no i felt sure reggie was coming simply to gratify his selfish desire to see me in this way i knew he loved me so far as it was possible for a man like reggie to love and it seemed to me that never again could i supinely be the victim of his vanity and pride he should not come to me and pour out his confidences and his boastings nor lavish on me caresses that could not be sincere his influence over me had waned and yet as i thought of his coming now i felt a vague sense of helplessness and even terror might not the old influence prevail after all i walked up and down my miserable little room wringing my hands and desperately trying to decide what i should do i thought of his coming with a feeling of both longing to see him and of revulsion i re-read his letter and it seemed to me in spite of his tender phrases that the man's self-centered character stood out clearly in every line all of reggie's letters to me had laid stress upon the success of his progress both in politics and the law and although he assumed that i would be pleased and proud i had in reality felt fiercely resentful i could not help comparing his circumstances and mine i had literally been starving in boston i had done that thing which in the eyes at least of my own kind of people if known to them would have put me beyond the pale i had stood in a room naked before half a score of men my face burned at the thought and i suffered again the anguish i had felt when i ascended like a slave that model's throne feverishly i packed my clothes i would go to new york reggie should not again find me here to hurt me further my train would not leave till night and i had a few friends to whom i wished to bid good-bye when i was leaving the house i met tim o'leary and he invited me to have lunch with him i smiled to myself as i sat opposite that bartender thinking what reggie would say if he could see me and i suddenly said to tim tim do you know you are more of a real gentleman than the grandson of a duke i know tim's broad red face shone when i said good-bye to rose saint denis she took me in her arms like a mother enfant she said you are so thin from the sickness i have for you the pity in my heart i will not see your face never again but i will make me a prayer to le bon dieu to pitifully take care of ma petite soeur oh rose i said crying i'll never never forget you i think the thought of you will always keep me good 
i was fortunate in finding dr squires in though it was not his office hour he seemed glad to see me and when i said doctor i am off for new york he answered what's the matter with boston then i explained that i thought that i could do better in new york and he agreed that my chances there were more promising then i said doctor i want to thank you for all your kindness to me and will you please tell me how much your bill is he had not only come to see me two or three times a day during my illness but he had also supplied all the medicines he looked at me very seriously when i asked for his bill and then he said in a deep thrilling voice you do not owe me a cent it is i who am indebted to you i knew what he meant and oh it did thrill me to think that my illness had brought those two beautiful people together lois and her doctor when i was going out i said doctor i'm going on the stage perhaps i'll succeed wish me good luck i wish you the best of luck in the world he said cordially and i wouldn't be a bit surprised to hear of your success you look like duzet bernhardt julia marlowe and at times like a composite of all the great actresses he did not laugh when he said that and he wrung my hand warmly as if he actually meant it once when i was a little girl my father had punished me for something bad that i had done and i determined to run away from home and be a gypsy i followed an organ grinder down the street and told him that i wanted to go with him but he turned around and drove me back shouting angry words at me i crept home and hid in the barn till charles found me there and dragged me into the house by the ear in running away from reggie i had somewhat the same feeling my heart was bursting with my love for him and at the same time with my vindictive purpose to punish him i felt my knees trembling under me as i climbed aboard the train nevertheless reggie's influence over me seemed to vanish the farther away we got from boston as it had when i left montreal as we came into new york i peered out of the window the city appeared uninviting and the buildings ugly as the train passed along nevertheless i felt already its encroaching fascination i experienced the feelings of a child who holds a package of unknown contents in his hand wandering and fearing to open it lest he be disappointed lil lived on one hundred and ninth street and she had sent me directions how to get there when i came out on forty-second street with my valise in my hand i did not know which way to go which was east west south or north a man on the train who had given me a magazine and opened a window for me offered to carry my valise he asked me where i was going and i told him that i wanted to find the sixth avenue elevated carrying my bag he took me to the elevated station at sixth avenue and forty-second street i thanked him and he said it's nothing if i had a sister arriving in a strange town alone i'd hope someone would do as much for her end of chapter thirty nine recording by james k white chula vista